Good morning. I'd like to wish you a happy Independence Day as we celebrate the freedoms that God has given us through our country here. And our scripture lesson indicates that today as we look at it in Exodus chapter 1, verses 7 through 21. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and, if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for the Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and with all kinds of work in the field. In all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when they... When you serve as the midwife to the Hebrew women, see that uh, on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied uh, and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for this, your word. I pray for your, you to bless it, Lord God. And uh, as we look at this important issue, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine the gossip among the midwives? The Pharaoh has gone insane. He wants us to kill the babies that we are supposed to be helping into this life, said Shifra. I don't think I can do it. I know that God would not be pleased if we carried out these orders, said Pua. Jameson Taylor, in his article entitled The Founding Fathers and the Right to Life, calls attention to the language of the Declaration of, the Indep of Independence, which states that, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so the fact that these truths are self-evident indicates that anyone that is sane can recognize them. Jameson then goes on to reason that because 79% of Americans believe that some form of abortion should be legal, a procedure that ends life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness before it even begins for an individual, then the majority of Americans today must then by definition be insane. Many of these insane people are celebrating that same Declaration of Independence today by attending parades, grilling hot dogs, and shooting off fireworks. The parades are a symbol that we have the right to take to the streets and stand against oppression if need be. The hot dogs are a symbol of the right we have to provide for our families in a free market that's unencumbered by fascism or communism. 
and the fireworks are a symbol of the blood of hundreds of thousands of men and women who have given their lives fighting to defend that piece of paper that's stored in the archive building in Washington, D.C. Many have gone off to foreign shores to fight visible enemies that are trying to take away the freedoms that we cherish so much. But who will sound the call to arms in this battle against another enemy that is decimating our population from within? An enemy that has racked up a death toll 20,000 times more than that of the nearly 3,000 people that were killed in the terrorist attacks in 9-11. In an effort to stay true to this text and to keep the length of my sermon within reason, we're only going to look at four aspects of the abortion issue this morning the issue of law and gospel, the core of the debate over when life begins, the enemy's purpose for abortion, and finally, the Christian response to abortion. And so first, the recognition of law and gospel. Before we get into the meat of this message, I want to recognize that this sermon is going to hit people very differently. Some sitting here today have had an abortion or encouraged someone else to have one. They either feel horrible about it and have repented to God, or they feel justified in their actions. Some sitting here today feel a sense of righteous indignation against those who support abortion and have compelled others to have one. Some here may be completely indifferent to the issue and would rather that I was speaking about anything else but this on this 4th of July, perhaps the American dream or something. The Bible always speaks to us in one of two ways. For those who are brokenhearted and contrite, the message of the Bible is good news. We call that the gospel. Many who are sorry for their past actions are going to be tempted to hear this message in a tone of anger and accusation. But I want to say right up front that God's message to you is complete forgiveness for all your sins, even the sin of abortion. Listen to the promise of Psalm 103, verses 11 through 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Because Jesus died for your sins, his blood has washed you clean. You stand before God as if you had never done that horrible and misguided deed. And that's great news. The opposite message, though, is that will be pronounced here today is the declaration of the law. And this is a message for those of you who do not feel remorse for your sins. You will not like this sermon at all, and maybe even squirming in your seat the entire time. You have already justified in your mind why you think abortion is acceptable. You may end up angry with me because the Spirit of God will not leave you alone during this message. And I hope that that feeling does not drive you away from God but instead forces you to re-examine whether or not you are perhaps mistaken in your attitudes toward this important issue. For those of you who do not wish to be disturbed by this issue, I declare to you this morning that there is no neutral territory in this battle. This message is to be, at minimum, a wake-up call to prayer and perhaps much more. And then what about the question of the debate over when life begins? As we begin to look at this text here in Exodus, some of you might be saying to yourself, well, hey, these are live children that they are killing, and so this has nothing to do with today's abortion issue. But I would argue that it has everything to do with today's issue. 
Because as I researched on both sides of the argument, argument, I noticed that most of the energy in the fight is directed at the question of when life begins. Is the fetus an actual human being or just an extension of the mother? This text, as well as our common sense, makes that a non-issue. Let me ask you this question. Why did Pharaoh kill those Hebrew boys? Was it because he was sick of babies being around, sick of their whining, sick of their crying, sick of the stinky diapers? No. The reason he wanted to kill them is because he knew what they would become. No couple has an abortion because they think that that thing that's growing within the woman is a cancerous tumor. They have an abortion because they know if that thing that is within her is not removed and destroyed, it will become a baby, then a toddler, then a teenager, then an adult, with many questions and demands. And they don't want to deal with that because they are either too scared, selfish, or confused. When we look at our children at age five, we don't sit there and wonder to ourselves, I wonder what's going to become of them. No, we know that they will grow into an adult someday. And so we do our best to prepare them for that inevitability by sending them to school and feeding them every day. We try to keep them healthy by immunizing them or taking them for regular dental checkups. As adults, we don't sit back and think, I wonder what I'm going to turn into when I'm old. No, we know that we're going to get tired someday and that we're going to want to retire from our careers. And so we set aside money to prepare for that. We know that we will become senior citizens who will at some point get sick and die. And so we worry about whether we will have enough good health coverage or enough money to get us through so that we won't be a burden to our families. In regard to this tiny embryo that is growing inside the woman, God is not concerned so much for what it is at the present as much as it, what it will become. That's how he sees us. I know this by looking at the way that he saw Jacob and Esau when they were in their mother's womb in Genesis 25, 21 through 23. He says, there are two nations struggling within you. He recognizes them not for what they are, but rather for what they will become. The next question we look at is the enemy, or in this case, Pharaoh's purpose for abortion. And so we see here that Pharaoh wants to kill the Hebrew boys out of fear of what they will become. And we have an enemy that is much more powerful than Pharaoh. Satan has been at war with humankind since the Garden of Eden. And his main task, as is stated in John 10.10, 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy us. His tactics are crafty, and he has developed them over centuries. Notice the progression of Pharaoh here. First, he thinks that he's going to solve his problem by oppressing the Hebrews. In verse 9 and 10, he says to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from this land. But it doesn't work because it seems that they're more focused now. These families, as they're working harder, they are going through trials and they're drawing together, and then there's a population explosion. The next step in Pharaoh's plan is to strike at their heart by having the midwives kill the sons. This tactic, he believes, would completely discourage them. They would not have the young men available to rise up and fight against Egypt if they were ever surrounded by their enemies. 
Satan as well tried oppressing Christians during the early times of the church. But the plan backfired for him because the church thrived even more while the persecution was taking place. This is still the case in places like China or North Korea, where there's an underground church explosion. Instead, he has turned his attention now to wounding our society at its very core. He is causing us to believe the lie that we can just throw life away when it becomes inconvenient to us. First, this feeds our selfish nature, and then it causes us to become walking wounded because of the pain that we suffer being party to the death of another human being. But what about the Christian response, or in this case, the midwives? The response of the midwives is really truly amazing because they are the ones with the power and the courage and have the ability to change the situation. <laughs> they stand up and defend these babies because they fear God. They do not want to anger him by killing these babies. And remember, this is even before the Ten Commandments were given, one of which was, do not kill. Many young couples are in bondage to the spirit of the age today. And this spirit lies to us by telling us that it's morally acceptable to have an abortion. As Christians who fear God, we must rise up and be, like the midwives, protectors of the defenseless. We must not stop with just declaring that something is wrong, but we must go on to the next step by putting our own necks on the line to make it right. The midwives could have just declared that Pharaoh's edict was wrong, but then still gone on to carry out the act of the abortions because of fear. In conclusion this morning, there are specific action steps that I want to call to your attention to consider as a response to this sermon. Because there is a destiny for every Christian that's sitting here in these pews today. For some of you, that destiny will be intricately entwined with the issue of abortion. You are like the midwives that are named in the story. You are called to be on the front lines of this issue. But even if you are not destined to make this issue your life's work, I believe that it's crucial that every Christian do something in regards to this issue because it's so vital to the moral health of our nation and the battle we are fighting against Satan and his hordes. With that in mind, consider the following action steps. Number one, pray. All of us need to do this. Even if you do not agree with every aspect of my sermon this morning, you can agree that abortion is not an ideal solution to the problems our country is facing. Let's call upon God for better solutions, like adoption, or education regarding abstinence in the schools. Number two, write a check to the Pregnancy Resource Center. These Christian men and women are on the front lines helping those in crisis find better solutions than abortion. And I want all of you to ask Jesus this week, not if you should give, but how much you should give, because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. As soon as you begin to give money to this issue, your heart will become involved in that issue. Number three, take a tour of the Resource Center. Meet the nurses and the staff and see this amazing place. Tours are given on Tuesdays. Finally, vote for life. Even though women still have abortions when they are illegal, a government that legalizes and even sanctions something so sinful inevitably causes its citizens to think of it as justified. 
We have the privilege in this country of changing that through the people that we vote to for, to lead this country. And although it's not widely publicized, there are pro-life senators and congressmen on either side of the aisle. These are just a few tangible ways that you can get involved in this issue that is near to the heart of God. I end with these convincing words of Ronald Reagan. I notice that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, even though it's hard to hear and this issue is so critical to our health and to the health of our church and the health of our country. I pray that you would not allow us just to sit on the sidelines and watch, but move us to action, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.